seriously one of the number one the number one reasons one wants to go back to work in person is because the refrigerator ain't there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, if I want to have a box of Cheez-Its at my desk, like, I got to own that at work, whereas it's just standard issue here at Casa de Woolen Hat. Well, and don't have toddlers, because every time you see anybody, they give you, like, anytime I see my mom, it's like, oh, here's a thing of cupcakes. It's like... This is the last thing we need in this house. Listen, no, you know what's the best part about now, though? Are they past, they're past the whole milk stage. The mm-hmm. vitamin D milk. I mean, I, so. I can't recall the last time I drank milk. I eat ice cream. So I guess maybe that's like my my dairy. Cream in my coffee. Real cream or half and half? Half and half. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's good stuff. As long as it's not that coffee made abomination. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I don't do that anymore. But I'll have the half and half for like three weeks. Yeah. Oh it well, it's all it's ultra pasteurized. It's magic. Yeah. There's it. It's shelf stable. I think we just put it in the refrigerator to. No, it's not shelf stable. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll last longer than they put on the the box that's for sure oh yeah 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 and honestly what's a little bit of cottage cheese in your coffee it's fine everything's gonna be fine this episode of it will probably be okay was recorded i don't know start of march something like that This was going to go a whole different direction, and then I got this other direction, and I was like, you know what, we're going to go this direction, so you're going to join me on the journey. On tonight's It Will Probably Be Okay, we're talking laws, but definitely not the way you're thinking about Take a journey with us through the astute, bizarre minds of my podcast mates. Tonight, we're joined by myself, Nikenji, who's fabulous and feeling great. Nick? And I fought the law and the law won. And my name is Gabe Wollenberg, and I wrote, I fought the law and the law won, but Nick stole it. (laughs) (laughs) So let's try something else, like breaking rocks in the hot sun. I mean, to be fair, I mean, fighting the law and the law winning in America, that's the only story there is to tell. Like... Nobody's like beating the law, you know, like nobody's like, I've bought the law and I won. Well, the wealthy people are. I'm sure you're saying that with the political climate today, I'm going to talk about the laws of the USA, maybe a bit about how most of them are fucking racist or at least racistly enforced. Perhaps maybe even talk about how the party of law and order apparently gives two shits to zero shits about law and order. But no, tonight we're going to talk about a different set of laws, the oldest known written law code. And I'm going to let you guess the name. Math? You know, like I'm trying to think outside the box here. Like I, I don't know. I, and I'm thinking Sumerian, Mesopotamian. Like I did you peak, Gabe? No, I just that's where law comes from, isn't it? Am I am I right? 
Well, you are closer than math. <laughs> closer than math is my new band it's name. It's called the Ernamu Law Code. And we're the Mesopotamians. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. And then we're going to get into it. This is going to be fun. The Ernamu Law Code is the oldest known written code about 300 years before Hammurabi's Law Code. So it's old as shit. The most ancient legislator known, Ernamu, is the founder of one of the Sumerian dynasties at the city of Ur. What a sharp, pithy name. His code, dating from the middle of the 21st century BC, dealt with witchcraft, the flight of slaves and bodily injuries. Old Babylonian copies, circa 1900 to 1700 BC, of the Ernamu Law Code with 26 laws of the 57 were found. So this was a lot back in the day. This cylinder is the first copy found that originally had the whole text of the code. But, you know, years later, you can't see that shit. Further, it actually mentions the name Ernamu, so we can give a name to this thing. And it just happens to be missing a number of articles and an epilogue, which was pretty common back in the day. So you'd have like a prologue and then you'd have the actual like code and then you'd have an epilogue. I mean, it seems like a pretty good book, right? Yeah. Let's now play the game. Guess mm-hmm. the laws of Ernamu and the consequences of each law. Well, it's like, don't steal must be a law. Don't steal another person's property. And like, I, I feel like the consequence for that would probably be like death. Because this was like olden days. <gasps> wow. That is very accurate. Woo. <laughs> If a man commits a robbery, he will be killed. Quite to the point. I'm going to guess that one of the laws is not impersonating Hammurabi. Hammurabi. And that the punishment is castration. Um. <laughs> no? A bad guess? I, I got another one. I, I I mean, based on your introduction, I'm going to say that there there's a law that... that you shall not partake in witchcraft. And I'm going to say that the punishment is death. <laughs> well, you're right on the first one. If a man is accused of sorcery, he must undergo an ordeal by water. If he is proven innocent, his accuser must pay three shackles. And he would be proven innocent by not dying? They don't, go, they don't go into detail, but I, I, I would not, I, I would guess it would be a bit yeah. like the witchcraft trial. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think that's how, I think that's how it worked. I think, I think the whole idea was, like, somehow they got in their minds that, like, if you could, if you could, like, pass some kind of random test this time with water and you didn't die, well, then you couldn't possibly be a witch. You know, or a sorcerer. Yeah, but that has a hundred percent chance of killing you, and then if yeah, like, you right, don't yeah. happen to die, then like you're innocent. <laughs> this only kills witches. 
I think I saw a documentary once where they had decided whether or not you were a witch was whether or not you floated on water like a duck. Mm. What do you do with witches? And what do you burn apart from witches? For witches! Wood! So, why do witches burn? Because they're made of wood. Good! Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, how do we tell whether she is made of wood? Build a bridge out of her! Ah, but can you not also make bridges out of stone? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. Uh, uh, does a wood sink in water? No, no. no it floats! It floats! Throw her into the pond! <laughs> what also floats in water? Bread! Apples! Uh, very small rocks! Cider! No, wait, wait, that's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I get those confused. I think for that one in particular, they would weigh you down, and if you floated, you were innocent. Mm-hmm. Gabe, do you got another do you got another guess? I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna take a guess and I'm gonna guess that we did stealing and we did 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 we do that you shouldn't murder people? Ooh. You haven't done that one yet. Okay, so I think there was a law that you shouldn't murder people and the punishment was math. <laughs> <laughs> You're I mean, so close. <laughs> to be fair, for my entire school career, math did seem like a punishment worse than death. <laughs> that man must be killed. Mm-hmm. And I, I love how, like, if a man commits a, if a man commits a murder, that man must be killed. If a man commits a robbery, he will be killed. I don't know that there was domestic partnerships, so I don't know that there was any kind of like adultery law. What what are the other laws of in the Bible? The Ten Commandments. There's a lot there. of adultery laws. Oh, there are. There are a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. All right. Don't commit adultery, and if you do, death. If a man accused the wife of a man of adultery and the river ordeal proved her innocent, then the man who had accused her must pay one third of a minus of silver. That's not your silver. That's minus silver. (laughs) So it's like essentially like you're kind of gambling on whether or not this person's going to actually die in this weird minute to win it death game. And if they do, then you were right. They were cheating. But if they don't, then you owe a shekel. And you get paid. Yeah. (laughs) It all seems very hard. The next one that's on adultery, too, is (laughs) if the wife of a man followed after another man and he slept with her, they shall slay that woman, but that male shall be set free. Oh, my God. I love how they say that he slept with her. And yet, she shall be slayed, and he set free. It's patriarchy. Nobody ever said Gilgamesh was super woke, right? (laughs) (laughs) Things are looking up. If a man proceeded by force and deflowered the virgin slave woman of another man, that man must pay five shekels of silver. 
And no one dies? I'm assuming. And no one dies, but I'm assuming that it goes to the man and not to the slave woman. Oh, of course. And then if a man had slept with the widow without having there been any marriage contract, he need not pay any silver. So if don't bite the cow, if you've already had the milk, (laughs) (laughs) there must be some kind of law about slave owning because you had mentioned slaves. So I'm I'm thinking there's some kind of law against stealing a slave or or I don't like illegally getting slaves. And then like, Maybe the the you'd have to like give them back to the person that you stole them from or something. If a slave escapes from the city limits mm. and someone returns him, the owner shall pay two shackles to the one who returned him. Ah, okay. That sounds very familiar. Mm-hmm. Very familiar. And the only other one that they have on slaves is if a man's slave woman comparing herself to her mistress speaks insolently to her, her mouth shall be scoured with one quart of salt. Oh, that's a lot of salt, but at least it's not death. I mean, that's how I clean my cast iron. All right. All right. All right. How are we doing? We've got adultery. And we've got coveting. We've covered those. Or did we not cover coveting? We we did murder. Oh, the ancient Sumerians had laws against talking shit about somebody's parents, right? So no talking bad. You should be good to your parents. Otherwise, death. (laughs) Well, this law, this code of law doesn't have that particularly what they do have is if a man appears as witness and was shown to be a perjurer he must pay 15 shekels of silver also if a man appears as witness but withdraws his oath he must make payment to the extent of the value in litigation of the case Oh, damn. So, I don't know it's very beneficial to appear as a witness in any case. If a slave marries a slave and that slave is set free, he does not leave the household. So, like, that's exactly like slavery. Yeah, like, you're you're, you're just married now. <laughs> but still you're, still a, you're still a slave. You're just married. And now. if it's... Essentially... And if a slave marries a native that is free person, he or she is to hand the firstborn son over to the owner. Here you go. You're a dad. <laughs> Wait. <no. laughs> but here's more death. Here's more death. And I think this will be the last one. If a man violates the right of another and deflowers the virgin wife of a young man, they shall kill that male. Heck yeah. Yes. <laughs> so the laws back in early Mesopotamia were essentially the same. Nothing's really changed. 
Nothing's no, really changed. It, it, except that it's okay to flood other people's agriculture now. Yeah, it's not yeah, a big deal. That. That's fine. Uh, that yeah. was specifically a law. So we've gone through some of the first laws. I ask you now, if you could write any law today, mm-hmm. what law would you write and why? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) So one of the things I wanted to talk about in this subject, and there were a couple I played with, but this one, this one was always on the, on the potential subjects list at our house, in my house. And it's recognized only by me, but it is true. Nonetheless, There is a thought technology, a legal construct known in our home as dad law. (laughs) And dad law is arbitrary. Mm -hmm. Dad law is absolute. And dad law is not to be questioned. And in fact, you'd think that dad law would be well codified, but it's not. Dad law is in the moment. Dad mm-hmm. law exists to suit dad. And there is no getting around dad law. Dad law, there's no Supreme Court of dad. You accept dad law or you don't. There's no, and if you defy dad law, there's one punishment. Dad. That punishment, nope. It's worse. <laughs> And this is, I'm not a joke. This is not a joke. Gaia and I created dad law. And the punishment for dad law must be sung. And it is this. I got punched in the neck for the last 18 hours out here in the rain. And I am crying, punched in the neck. Because I broke dad law And now I am in A whole lot of trouble Punched in the neck And you just keep going Forever Teacher Heard her recount That story (laughs) That dad law (laughs) That the suitable punishment To dad law I mean I could just imagine you would have CPS called on you. Why punched in the neck, though? Because it fits the cadence of the song that we're singing, which is... I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. I know you were right. Believe me so long. Yeah. I'm all out of love. What am I Here's the thing. We both admit that that is dad law punishment, but neither of us have any ability to actually enforce it. The more we played with dad law, the uglier it started to feel. And Mm -hmm. so dad law still exists, but we recognize it as the law of a corrupt and, and, and broken system and that it's not funny. And so we we oppose dad law quietly, but don't tell our father. 
I mean, but, but Gabe, like, are you trying to tell me that Dad Law supersedes Mom Law? Is Mom listening? <laughs> <laughs> because the answer is as long as she agrees. <laughs> answer to your question, Mackenzie, I feel like we've got plenty of laws. There's just one law that I wish that we would enforce. I would like people that live on corners to shovel out to the street so that I can walk my dog without having to step over a giant snowbank. I mean, I, I, feel, like that's, I feel like that's a law, but like no one's enforcing it. And, you know, I'm scaling a mountain of dirty old snow every time I'm trying to take the dog for a walk. Yep, because that little corner, that little bit that goes into the street, that's the city's job. I'm not doing that. Maybe the law should be that in every deed for a home that's on a corner, there's a very clear call-out box that says, by purchasing this home, you are ensuring that people can walk their dog. And if you don't, then they get to put all their dog's poop in your yard. <laughs> it's okay. Yep. The, the shitbag revenge law. The consequences. Well, okay. Yeah. So what's your law? What's your law? My law, my law was going to be that millionaires and above are taxed at rates that are similar to the wealth of people earning less than a million dollars are taxed. Yeah, that should definitely be a law. I was thinking about how my bonus is basically insignificant because of taxes. And I felt in my heart, you know what? You're doing well, baby girl. This is fine. This is fine. Here's a thought technology I'm going to steal from Blaseball, which, by the way, is up and running and it is glorious. But they have a policy on the books that at the end of every season, and here's how I'm going to take your law and I'm going to turn it. I like the idea of there being some kind of wealth redistribution policy, right? But Americans don't want to talk seriously about stuff. And they want to make sure everything's fair, except when it comes to entertainment. When, when it's entertainment, people love to see people get screwed, right? Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, you love to watch somebody who's doing well trip and fall on their face and not win the race, right? That's, that's American. Americans love that shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. In baseball, there is a system where the richest person at the end of the season is consumed and his wealth is distributed to all other players. That sounds like the synopsis for a novel. So here's what we do. At the end of a tax season, the richest man in the world is eaten. 
<laughs> and we distribute all of his assets because let's face it, it's a man, I roll, but we're going to eat him and distribute all of it. So then what happens is I don't want to be the richest man in the world. So we start paying a lot of attention to rich people's philanthropy because mm-hmm. they got to drop under that other guy. So yeah. it becomes, so it becomes this incredible blind man's bluff game of how, how much am I willing to give away based on the fact that all these other people are also giving money away so that I'm not the richest man in the world who has to distribute all my wealth. This is like a mix of Hunger Games and the lottery and like <laughs> a couple other genres I can't think of right now. The, the, only, the only thing about rich people is that, you know, by and large, they always find some way to game the system. So couldn't you see them all just showing up on the like the last day of the accounting with like millions of dollars to give to that one person that they really don't like and just kind of drop it off at their house and run? You're right. The first thing the rich people would do would be start cutting checks to each other. <laughs> yeah, but then well, you, you I, I, know what would be a biggest asshole-ish move if Jeff Bezos is like, I don't want to have more money than like Bill Gates or, or who's the other dude that the, the, the Tesla dude. Elon Musk. He's like, I'm going to give you a hundred billion dollars and that way you end up being you, 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 you end up holding <laughs> the wealth <laughs> like a game of hot potato. <laughs> this, you know, in all honesty though, I mean, to come full circle on this, this almost sounds like this could be a law on the list that Nakenji was sharing. The the man with the most shekels at the end of the year <laughs> receives death. <laughs> that's the punishment for having the most money. Death. Because that's essentially the punishment it's for everything else. It's not a punishment. It's the victory. Those who give up yes. their life have achieved the ultimate in, in wealth. No, you just have to encode that into the cultural fabric of, of, of the country. I can see it being a really great reality show. Mm-hmm. Except the future of the country is at stake. So, Nakenji, <laughs> you, you talked about ancient law and... I, I want to see if you have anything else that you want to say, but I want to talk about some very modern laws. Take it away. All right. So what, what I want to talk about today is what I am calling Nick's unwritten laws of flying commercial. And I just want to talk with you all. Nakenji, you and I actually have been on a plane together. I want to talk to you all about my, my laws and then I just, I want to get your thoughts and then I want to find out like, you know, what are your pet peeves when it comes to flying? So the most important law in Nick's unwritten law, laws of commercial flying, law number one, do not recline your seat. If you do, you're an asshole. Law number two, do not eat smelly food on the plane. We're all in this confined space. We're going to be in this plane for a long time. Don't bring your stinky subway sub onto the plane and eat it so everybody has to smell that gross disgustingness. What is a stinky subway sub? All subway subs, but especially the ones that are toasted. <gasps> I love toasted and, and they're it's excessive. Fine. Un- yeah, 
Eat those subs all you want. Onion, yeah. Yeah, just don't eat them on an airplane. All right. Law number three, do not take an exterior seat if you plan on getting up a lot. Don't take a window seat if you plan on getting up a lot. If you have a small bladder, if you just need to walk around and stretch your legs a little bit, don't don't punish the two people that get stuck sitting next to you like that. Number four, this one should probably be a little higher. Use your headphones. Under no circumstance should you be playing something out of the speakers of your phone or your iPad. Uh, it, it seems crazy that I even have to say that, but like I've seen this happen multiple times. It's incredibly irritating. I'm sorry you forgot your headphones. Like uh, now you're just going to have to read the read the magazine. Rule um, law number five: Do not get angry or aggressive if someone will not switch seats with you. Like sorry, like it's not happening. I have a personal story about this one. Actually, I was coming back from Las Vegas for a bachelor party. Might have been my bachelor party. I don't even remember. And we, you know, obviously because we were on Southwest, we didn't, and we were at a bachelor party. It's not like we got up early, so you know we didn't have a good boarding number on Southwest. But I ended up getting a aisle seat. I like the aisle seats. I ended up getting an aisle seat in the back of the plane, just by random people, not by my friends or anything. And uh, so then the, the last people to board was like this group of dudes that were probably also there for a bachelor party. And uh, the one took the middle seat next to me. And then his friend came and he's like, hey, man, would you mind switching to the the seat over there so I can sit next to my friend? And I'm like, no, like, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, come on, man. Like, I just want to sit next to my buddy. Like, wh- wh- what does it matter to you? And it's like, dude, I'm not moving to a middle seat from an aisle seat. It ain't happening. My comfort. Um, yeah, exactly. It's my comfort. I'm sorry that you're six feet tall. Like, you know, you guys should have got up a little bit earlier than us because then you would have been in this seat. So that's rule number six. Again, this should go without saying, but keep your shoes on and your feet in the appropriate spot. I mean, like no one wants to see your feet. No one wants to smell your feet. Like, just like, come on. We're, like, none of us are enjoying this. We're all like, just doing this so we can get somewhere else. Like, don't torture me with your feet. Yeah. Um, apparently, at some point, air, airline air travel became a dignity-free zone. Yes, yes, right. <laughs> like, and it's so funny, too, because, I mean, a lot of people I've traveled with for work, they almost have their flying get-up. And it's never what you'd see him in, in the office. It's just the most comfortable <laughs> sweatpants stuff. And it's like, these people would never wear this stuff in front of you unless they were going on an airplane. It's hilarious. Um, Can't have that belt slowing you down in line. No. And then my, my last rule, my last law is, the ca- this is a Southwest specific law. <laughs> the cattle call sucks. But you, you should find your spot. Then as you, you know, as you're board, as you board, pick your seat and put your luggage away quickly because people are waiting. Like, I don't know why it seems like every time I go on a flight, there's these people that like this process is just like the most confusing thing that they've ever been a part of. And like <laughs> they think yeah. that they've got like five minutes to like put their bag and get their crap out of their bag. And they, they like, don't, they, they can't figure out how to like, where to even stand. Like even like in the, in the queue, in the queue area, like they don't even like they somehow standing between number 55 and 60 is like really hard for them to figure out. So that is, so that would be my, my last rule. And then 
I, I just I want to make one other mention, and I, I this is more of a rule for the airlines, and this is very specific to me and and my traveling regiment. But like, I like to travel with a backpack. I don't I don't like to bring a like a like a carry on. I like to I like to check a bag because I like to bring beer back with me from wherever I'm going, and then I, I bring my backpack and. Mm-hmm. I have run into a situation now where these airlines are even specifically saying like that backpacks should go under, under the seat in front of you and not in the luggage bins, which I think is bullshit. Like, why should you discriminate against the backpack? Like, because my, because my thing doesn't have wheels and and like a handle now, all of a sudden, like, I need to be uncomfortable and have my feet in this like uncomfortable stuffed up against my backpack spot because I got a backpack. What? So that's something that like, that's just for the airlines. I wish they wouldn't discriminate against the backpack. Cause some of us, you know, savvy travelers have a regiment that involves a backpack and like, we don't need to get, hassled about it. So those are my rules. What would you add to this list or what bothers you most about air travel? I feel like you offer a very comprehensive list. I would say don't turn on the light when other people are sleeping, which is the purpose of the light. But like there comes a time when the entire cabin is basically asleep and then you're that one person. Sure. Sure. And it's, I've actually never been on a a flight that's really like long enough for that to be an issue. I mean, the, the furthest I've probably ever flown is like, to Arizona or to Seattle or something like that. But yeah, I can imagine like if you're on uh, like a 747 going somewhere, that's like a 16 hour flight. Yeah. I can imagine like, you know, most people just want to get on that flight and they want to go to bed and they don't want to be bothered by the person that needed a reading light, like get a Kindle, you know, it's not that hard. What about you Gabe? I have, a different philosophy when it comes to air travel. Tell me more. And that philosophy is one of total surrender. <laughs> I don't I don't care what you do. I don't care what happens around me. You do what the air police tell you to do. Sure, we're polite and we pretend they're stewardesses, but they are the people who are in charge of you and shut up and do what they say because you are about to fly through the sky using speed and wind to keep you from plummeting to the earth. And you are going to tell me that, no, you also have to be comfortable No, you just appreciate the miracle that somehow this fart tube full of long pig is not crashing into the ocean below. I mean, I feel like it's been decades. We are no longer impressed by the magic. But that's, and I, that's okay. I'm just saying my philosophy of airline flight is total surrender because here's the thing. Jennifer doesn't fly well, Mm. like serious, like clinical level flight anxiety. And so 
my whole focus when we get in there is getting her into her chair, letting her take her whatever she's going to take and and slowly slide back into quiet time. Mm -hmm. And with any luck, no a-hole is going to put his foot down and demand that he has the right to spray his bottle of Dracar Noir all over because my wife with asthma will die and we will have to crash this plane in order to land early because you had to smell good rather than bathe. <laughs> so that, all you can do is surrender and hope that you make it so also middle seat shouldn't ever shouldn't be a thing like just make more airplanes you can't have a middle seat and here's why i one time had to fly from minneapolis to to san francisco which is like an, an eight and a half hour flight and you wouldn't think it would be a long flight but for whatever reason yeah. minneapolis to san francisco is just like this incredibly long flight and i was in the middle seat so it was one of those two four uh two four two airplanes Oh, I don't know God. what size they are. So there were two aisles. There was two, four, two, a set of two, a set of four, a set of two. Jennifer and Gaia got to be, or Jennifer got to be somewhere. I don't remember. She was comfortable. But in order to make sure, sure she was comfortable, I had to take the middle seat. Yikes. Six hours in the air. And I couldn't put my arms down. The people next to me never moved back enough that I could put my arms down because my shoulders were too wide for the, the seats. My shoulders aren't that wide. I've got a 54, 56 tops. It's big. I'm big, but like, I'm not an unusually wide person. Yeah. And so the whole flight, six hours, I had to rest like this because I could not convince Man. anyone that I could put my arms down. They were not willing to lean forward enough for me to put my arms down for a little while. Oh my god. Some of the some of the some of the things that I was reading that was that was suggesting some of these laws were saying that the middle seat should get both armrests. Yeah. Or or just just how about this? Put a little more armrest. Yeah, <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. Like like I I I don't want to lose track of who the real villains are here. And it's mm -hmm. the airline. Yes, totally. But like the Definitely. truth is like I, I don't know. I, I cry. Put me asleep. Cryogenically freeze me. I yeah, don't care. Totally. I have no ability or interest in comfort. I just want the flight part over. That's my law. Like when I joked, like it's a dignity free zone. Like, you ever watch a hole on an airplane YouTube? <laughs> yes. <laughs> how, I did you, how did you even find what? what? You can find video compilations of people getting escorted off of airplanes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like shot by people and then uploaded to face face or whatever. Like it's there. It, yeah. Asshole on an airplane. YouTube is pretty good. It's pretty worth it's, watching. Yeah, it's pretty satisfying. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> people who think that they're going to cry and pout their way into not being escorted off the airplane at some point. Like you just watch the dawning realization slowly creep up on them that wait a minute, there's no winning this. Like, even if I convince them to let me stay on the airplane, now I'm going to be the scourge of the airplane for the next six hours. I I, I thank you all for listening to my laws. And I, I think what I need to do is I think I just need to print these out for when I'm flying. And I just need to make copies for everyone on the plane. Yeah, just hand them out. <laughs> yeah, what do you think? <laughs> like, what, like, 
listen, I, you'd almost be willing to be like the last one on the plane. Yeah, totally. You just sort of, you just stood there handing a copy as everyone walked in. Like you just were allowed there. Like, oh hi, how you doing? Take this, take this. And they're like, what do they say when you come in? Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Yeah, yeah right, Welcome right. Aboard. Like, take one of these. Take my flyer. Take my flyer. Thank you. If any, if everyone could could just initial this, <laughs> just hand it out back. That would be great. So yeah, that's my that's my spiel. Airplane law. Airplane law. Interesting. I, when challenged with the idea of exploring the concept of law, I thought about dad law. Dad law is important, but ultimately, like I said, creepy and falls down on inspection because the truth is there are plenty of dysfunctional dad laws. The reality is as a white American male dad, like the laws are all pretty much written for my benefit already anyway. So dad law isn't fun. Dad law is just the sad reality of life. But then I started thinking, well, why do I, a guy with a liberal arts degree who can really not even do math, why do I think I have any ability, any right to say that, oh, I have thoughts and opinions about law? How much studying of the law have I done? Nick, what, what's your law degree in? Um, life. <laughs> Nick, Kenji, uh, how much, how much, what kind of, what kind do you have a law minor? No, life. Okay. The streets. So you learned law. I'm just going to hazard a guess that you probably learned law in the similar context that I did, which is by watching shows about the law on TV. <laughs> shows that might even be fiction. And so I started digging into what does American television teach us about the law? Bullshit. And I, <laughs> I found an incredible paper, you guys. A paper <laughs> by somebody named Martina Elker. Elker who sought to illustrate how American television series reflect the tendencies and realities of the American legal system and its policies. And she divides the experience of legal television and the presentation of the law in the American mediascape in four distinct phases. And this may be one of those things that I'm really into because I have just that much more life experience, i.e. I remember older things, <laughs> right? Do you guys remember Perry Mason? Do you know who Perry Mason is? I don't think I ever watched the Perry yeah. Mason show, but I, I feel like I know that it existed. How about I was currently at Perry Mason and Columbo, but... I, I do know Paramount. Okay. Hill Street Blues? Never watched it. It's a, no. it's a cop show. NYPD Blue? Watched it when I could. Okay. Yeah. So, Dennis, Dennis Franz's butt, everyone was talking mm -hmm. about. The Defenders? No. Never. Okay. These are all period one television series featuring defense attorneys at the service of the poor, deprived, and innocent depicting socially conscious lawyers 
and they were popular throughout the 60s and 70s and subsequently were replaced by popular cop shows, right? Hill Street Blues and NYPD sure. Blue, in which defense lawyers are kind of secondary characters and law enforcers are the ones who track down <laughs> criminals, right? So that's period one. Period two, as society became more and more conservative, right? We got into this idea of the viewers and the idea of the law just want to be about seeing wrongdoers caught and punished. Mm -hmm. So now it's not about defending people accused of crimes wrong, right? Or people understanding why and how a crime came to be. No, now we're watching television shows that are about punishing wrongdoers. Okay? L.A. Law right? Boston legal, Matlock, although Matlock's a little bit of a phase one, but like, it's all about watching punishment. Period three, in 1981, the Supreme Court allowed for cameras to be in the courtroom. And it took a while, but by the 90s, we had the O.J. Simpson trial, right? Mm -hmm. Not right away, but eventually. We had court TV, right? Yeah. And yeah. so phase three is really about taking TV into the real law zone, right? The programming yeah. starts featuring law shows. This is where law and order starts, right? They start dealing with air quotes, real law. And then finally, phase four. Phase four, period four, where the fundamental democratic ideas of the presumption of innocence and the concept of providing the best possible defense are in the foreground. Again, it's back to being about defense. And this gets us to, to the practice and law and order special victims and, and uh, Boston legal. And all of this is this author's opinion a non-nuanced, kind of blunt-edged weapon interpretation of the reality of the U.S. legal system, right? Legal concepts and their perception by the public are determined by TV, and yet TV producers don't really reinforce the legal reality or stereotype. They just sort of put stuff out there to be entertaining, which is their job. So producers create programs that explain the law in the way that people want to be told about the law. How many of you know what your Miranda rights are? It's Nick, everyone, you know what? everyone gets to see Hamilton. Right. Yes, that is the Lin. Those are your Lin Manuel rights. Those are different. Oh shoot. Okay, sorry. <laughs> but yes, like we all know our Miranda rights, right? You have the right to remain silent. Yeah. If, you know. Why do you know it? TV. Because you've seen it on TV. Yeah. Yeah. It's not because you sat down and, and it's not because you ever sat down and read the Fourth <laughs> Amendment, right? Like. You know, I should, yeah, I never said to myself like, you know what I should know is my Miranda rights. <laughs> right. Right. What does that exactly mean? I imagine there's a, a period five and it would it would be this article was published in like 2006 or 2007. I don't remember. But uh, I think there's a period five and that is YouTube lawyer expertise. Right. Mm, yeah. Like yeah, now yeah. we actually have crackpots who are dealing their interpretation <laughs> of the law into 
the in into the sort of zeitgeist saying you know what you only got to roll your window down a window down a crack and and that's all you got to give them and like all of that might be true but like you still need a lawyer to help you with that like you can think that yeah. all you want but like your laws are dependent do if you're black yeah and you right and your laws are dependent on your ability to inf- have have them protected by spending money right like right. that's how the system that's the system working is designed but you know, Gabe, I would challenge that period five, or maybe it's present in all the periods, but I would challenge that perhaps period five is the pendulum has swung. And I have noted a lot of cases of police brutality, just outright police brutality in place of the law. And the false dichotomy of choice of, like, either I do police police brutality or we don't solve the case. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that gets people behind the idea of, like, of course you want to solve the case because you want to get justice. And there are a number of shows that I've had to stop watching because it's just police, police brutality and the abuse of police powers. Yeah, there's a whole series of television programs where the ends justify the means. And that's just never true, right? YouTube isn't just full of crackpots giving you bad advice. It also has given a venue for those dash cams to turn up where normally or in the previous worlds, we never would have known they even existed. Like, so, so YouTube provides us, social media provides us with an opportunity to, to get the reality out there past the gatekeepers right i i just want to say that like hearing this it it, like kind of just makes me think about the idea of like you know i mean this is the these shows in in most cases are all you know the perpetuation of the good guy cop i mean they're all telling us that you know cops are or in most cases, at least I, I never watched these shows. I never really liked them. I was never really interested in them, but like more often than not, I, you know, I think the term for it is copaganda. And and I think all these shows are just like, Hey, cops are great. They're out there solving these crimes. Like they're doing what they have to do to get to the bottom of it. And, you know, I mean, I think most people, they, they don't see themselves as, as the, the, criminal they see themselves as as you know the they see themselves through the eyes of the victim in these stories so the cop is the good guy that's you know saving them and you know no wonder our nation you know reveres cops no wonder the baby boomers are having such a hard time reckoning with defund the police it's because they've been told their whole lives by you know by the media that they consume that the cops are the good guys can you imagine if there was a cop show that just showed how little cops did? <laughs> Wasn't that Barney Miller? I don't get that reference. Uh, see, that's that's the it's an old Barney cop Miller show from the seventies. Yeah, never mind. <sighs> Abe Vigoda as fish? Nothing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That's old. No, I think, I mean, I think you're right, Nikenji. I mean, I think there definitely also were more nuanced police stories being told. Like the wire was like, seemed more true to life, but you know, these shows that are always tapping the charts are like these CSI shows where there's just like these crime procedurals with these good guy cops solving these, 
impossibly sexy crimes, you know? (laughs) Where would you like to start? We're not even playing the role that would be assigned to them in real life. Because <laughs> the SI does not, you know, beat the pavement. I'm glad that you uh, brought up CSI. Because the other rat hole I went down when I was looking at the law was this idea of the CSI effect. Do you guys know what the CSI effect is? That criminals now know how to clean up themselves? Correct. The (laughs) idea is that by exposing forensic techniques via entertainment programming, such as a CSI, criminals learn how to beat those technologies. And I I wanted to know if that was a real thing. (laughs) I found another article, and it's called CSI Effect. Media and Litigation Crisis in Criminal Law. (laughs) And what they're aiming to do is to determine whether or not the CSI effect is a real thing, right? And they're setting it up that the CSI effect, named for the popular franchise Crime Scene Investigation, has alleged that as one of the most watched television programs, affects jury deliberations and outcomes. So not only do criminals find it, but the juries expect Mm -hmm. better, more proof Mm. than is required. Oh, wow. Because like CSI, they can go in and and enhance and clean up and make, you know, things that obviously aren't possible into, you know, evidence. Like I have this blurry photo. Well, why didn't you enhance and clean it up? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm not going to convict because that's blurry. And so the reality of forensic investigation is kind of skewed toward where if we wanted to have the kind of forensics available for every single trial, we would need a significantly outlandishly overwrought invest and like talk about impeding the freedom, right? For the sake of gathering Mm -hmm. evidence, it would just, it would be ridiculous. And so is that true? Is that really happening? And according to this article, I'm going to cut right to the chase. They don't know. Maybe. (laughs) Here I'll read from the conclusion on page 39 of this article. (laughs) And yet, as with the litigation explosion, we cannot attribute media interest in the CSI effect merely to the efforts of those who have sought to perpetuate the story. The media does not accept every narrative proposed it, and not every narrative shows the sort of penetration of public consciousness that the CSI effect claims to have achieved. I, I mean, what? I think it, it's, it's, I don't know how prevalent it is, but it, it's, it's impossible for me to believe that it doesn't exist at all. Yeah. I mean, like, right now, if I murdered somebody, I would rely on my knowledge from CSI to help clean up the crime scene. 
Well, and you know? or or if you were a jury member, you would you would think about that as you were like that would be in your head as you're deliberating the case. It's it's impossible for me to believe this has never happened. It certainly has happened. Well, I think that's probably a great place for us to get into what we learned today, but should we jump to our topic for for the next episode first? Yes, where are we going I've, next time? I've got it pulled up on random. Here we go. We are talking about choices. Choices. That's going to be fun. That should be interesting. So for me, what I learned today is, first of all, don't do anything in the olden days that you're even thinking might be illegal because you will probably die. And then the other thing I learned was I thought the CSI effect was that every show on CBS needed to be CSI. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it was good to learn that what this CSI effect really was. First, I learned that laws may not make sense or seem necessary, but especially on airplanes, we need law. We need law. And I don't, I, I don't know. I have a note here that just says backpack users are the true unseen minority. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I agree with that, but I definitely learned it. Two more last second to last one. None of us really, I learned this year, this week that none of us really know enough about ancient Samaria to talk shit about it, but we don't let that stop us anyway. We're going to do that. And then, Finally, I think the thing I learned the most is that math is not a law, (laughs) nor is it a punishment. (laughs) And death is not a punishment. It is the ultimate financial victory. Oh, well, what I learned, I learned that the similarity between ancient law and modern law is too close for comfort. (laughs) I learned that perhaps I should try embracing the philosophy of total surrender as it relates to air travel and other aspects of life. I learned slash realized that it's via TV that we learned our Miranda rights. <laughs> and finally, I learned that at some point, air travel has become a dignity free zone. <laughs> and with all these things, clearly, the world's not going to end. Life will go on. And it will probably be okay. Probably. probably. Good. <laughs> Hooray! Oh, that was some interesting stuff. Death or shackles. Death or give shackles. Me death. Give me death or give me shackles. <laughs> Those are your choices, Jerry. Which one is it?